Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Joshua Spodek, back here again with Bill Ryerson. Bill, how are you doing? I'm doing terrific. Thank you, Josh. Nice to be with you. Glad to have you back. And I'm very curious to hear how your commitment went. But before we do that, I want to fill them in on what we were talking about before we hit record, which was I'm working on my book and I had this graph up from a paper that studied what effect or it quantified the effect of different things you could do. And there's, I'm going to put the chart in the link so people listening to this can go to the page and look at the graph. But it shows that like living car free reduces the tons of carbon dioxide equivalent that it reduces is like two and a half, two and a half tons of carbon per year, I think. Avoiding one transatlantic flight is about one and a half. All right, two and a half, one and a half. The next thing's buy green energy. That's, a, that's like one and a half, two. Two and a half, one and a half. Not having a kid, 58. It's like, I mean, they can't even put it on the same graph. You'll see that they have to change the y-axis to fit it. And what hit me that on this one, it also breaks it out like it's 58 on average for the world, but for the United States and probably, and my stats show that most of my listeners are in the US, it's 120. It's like not even close, but there's other papers that I've seen. You probably know this better than I do, Bill, that the awareness of this is like through the floor. People say, well, yes, we're, we're driving a Prius and we're going to have four kids. Well, they have missed the point because family size, it, particularly in Western countries like the U.S., is the key determinant of carbon emissions. And I've just sent you a paper, Josh, by two Oregon State University statisticians that shows through their calculations that carbon legacy, which is a multi-generational concept, effects of somebody having one less child in the American context is a contribution to the health of the planet and reduction of carbon emissions 5.7 times greater than the emissions of that individual during their entire lifetime. So it is a huge issue. And even in low-income countries, family size matters because everybody has a carbon footprint. And I've only gotten to look at the title of this, but do I read it right that it's 2008? This is not new information. It's no, it's been around a while. I've quoted it so many times. Yeah. And now on this podcast, my focus is on getting people started, getting people to do something that they enjoy. So if people are not acting that much or concerned, what I do doesn't matter. I believe that big or small, it's more important that they enjoy the first act with the mindset of doing something more. Uh, Because I think you have to start with where someone is. And if someone's not thinking about kids now, but they are thinking about, oh, I guess their backyard that they haven't visited in a long time, although you're also thinking about kids, then I want people to start where they are. So I don't want to blow them out of the water and think, you know, oh, you got to do the biggest thing. I think people will get there if they enjoy it. And I think that nature is impossible to avoid enjoying. That's it. No, I don't want to, I haven't heard how things have gone with you. So maybe I shouldn't lead the witness nor, well, now I'm curious, can you remind us what motivated you and what was your commitment? When we spoke last time, I talked about the fact that I grew up in a family that valued the outdoors. And we went camping. I went on wilderness canoe trips in northern Ontario. During this COVID lockdown, I've been sorting through old papers. And I came across something I wrote as an 11th grader outlining the ideal three days. And it was 
one day a canoe trip followed by a square dance, next day tennis court, next day uh, going on a bicycle trip. No, it was just all focused on activity and outdoors, which of course is true, was true uh, when I was growing up for a lot of young people. Uh, I look at our grandson and he's much less that way. If he has nothing to do, he's staring at a screen, chatting with people he doesn't even know and playing electronic games. And so this shift, I think, has reduced the awareness of the importance of the outdoors and wilderness and the value of biodiversity for making the planet not only habitable, but enjoyable. So when we spoke last time, I said, you know, and it's true today too, I've been on nonstop Zoom meetings now for a year. We've all been working from home since March 13th of 2020. And I have five or six hours of Zoom meetings every day, and I just sit here and stare at the screen. And so you said, what would I enjoy doing? And I said, we have eight acres behind our house, and I haven't walked more than a few hundred feet back there in literally a couple of decades. And since that time, I got up one morning and looked out the window and four deer were sleeping in the woods just behind our house. And they were there for several hours, just with their eyes barely open. And I thought, you know, I really need to walk back there. So like everything one does when they're overwhelmed with work is it got postponed and it got postponed. And then it was 15 degrees. And I said, no, it doesn't sound like fun. And then the snow was coming and I said, okay, well, I could try on the snowshoes. And then yesterday, our grandson came over for a visit after school. And I said, this, this is the time. He had never seen more than a little bit of the mowed area of our backyard. So I said, let's go for a walk. And we walked all the way back. It's about a 30-minute walk to the back of the property line because it's a long, thin plot. And it backs up to... A nature preserve with a stream flowing through it. And so we walked all the way back there through rather deep snow, even though it was in the 50s. So it was, in terms of temperature, it wasn't bad other than our feet being cold. But it was a lovely walk. And we saw deer tracks, we saw rabbit tracks, and one set of tracks that I think may be a coyote. I know I've heard coyote uh, calls at night. And I think that may be what it was. So at any rate, he was amazed. He kept saying, this is still your property? And I said, yes. And he said, I've never been back here. And I said, well, I haven't been here in years. But we had a lot of fun doing it. And I appreciate your your challenge to do something that, you know, it's hard to tear your way, yourself away from meetings and go do it. And in fact, somebody noticed my calendar was empty at that hour and scheduled a meeting. And I got on the call and I said, good luck. I'm going for a walk with my grandson and signed off and went on the walk. It was more important than the meeting. That reminds me of a story when I was in graduate school. Another student working for the same advisor, she had a, well, then uh, I'll tell you the story about how she became a fiance or she had a fiance. Her boyfriend worked for some huge multi whatever finance something or other. And there's a big deal going down. 
And there's one, and you know, he was working hundred hour weeks, something like that. And one day he said, there was like some big, there was like going to close this one day or something like that. And he said, I can't make that one. And like, you make it, this is, you know, you make it or you're fired or whatever. And he goes, I've been planning to propose on that day. And they're like, take the time off. <laughs> no need to come in. Tell us how it goes. Some things are important. Yeah. This reminds me, one of our board members has had a very interesting career. And uh, I don't know his children, but I've known him for literally most of my life. And his name is Ron Hoagie, lives in the Bay Area. And um, last March, I was talking to him. And of course, every conversation, including that one, started with the pandemic. And he said, oh, by the way, my son is in the vaccine business. And I said, oh, that's nice. Hopefully he'll do something good. And he said, yeah, he's a specialist in messenger RNA, and he's developing a vaccine for uh, use of mRNA for attacking COVID. And I said, wow, that's exciting. And then about two weeks later, I saw Dr. Stephen Hogue, president of Moderna, being interviewed by Anderson Cooper. And I went, oh, that's Ron's son. That's, please pass on my thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have the Moderna shot? I haven't had any shots yet. Apparently, as a healthy adult, I'm the last to get it. Uh-huh. I also, I've talked a lot about when the pandemic hit, I said, what role models do I have? I said, I got Nelson Mandela, was locked down for 27 years. And his 70th birthday, 600 million people attended in some way the event while he was still imprisoned. I have not yet had 100 million people to one of my birthdays. So I have yet to achieve what he has, and I got a quarter century to go. So I don't mind, you know, he had a bucket for a toilet. I, I got all the culture that's ever been digitized. So I'm not, I'm not in a hurry, although I look forward to it. Everything is relative. I was this morning, again, I mentioned I've been doing house cleaning during lockdown, and I came across a letter I hadn't read in a very long time, a letter from my great aunt who spent World War II with her husband in Florence. And this letter was written over a few months of the summer of 1944. And what the Germans were doing and the fact that there was no soap and no water uh, other than maybe a bottle of drinking water that they could get every day and no electricity and the Germans raping women. And if they resisted, they just shot them on sight. And then the Americans, over multiple weeks, uh, shooting at the Germans to try to get them out of Florence, and her husband having pneumonia and taking nine months to recover because they couldn't get access to medicine. And I thought, you know, we've been complaining about the lockdown, but we haven't had anything like that. What they went through was just horrendous. I just had a guest who talked about the Battle of Britain, and Apparently, the Londoners at the time showed the highest rates of satisfaction that they were together. I don't know the right measure. Satisfaction might not be the right term, but something they were banded together and they were they, for a common cause. Mm-hmm. And I've never met anyone who said, hey, you got to meet my friend Pat. Pat is the most entitled, spoiled person I know. You love, <laughs> And spoiled people don't think of themselves as spoiled. We don't identify ourselves as as entitled as we are. Yeah. And I think that if someone's spoiled, they do well. I think they, they would consider a life improvement to become less so. I think we could use a dose of that. I'm not accepting myself from this at all. 
we had a visitor from Botswana who had been in the U.S. just a couple of days, and he came to see us, and he heard some conversation, and he said, you Americans are so naive, and we just don't know what it's like for many people in the rest of the world. I want to go back to your hour off with your grandson. You could have had a meeting at that time, and for a long time, you've been, you have been having meetings in time you could have done that. Were you less productive? I got everything done I needed to do. Did you, I mean, in terms of productivity, in terms of what you're, I see you as mission-driven, if that's the right term. I see you as, as you're not at a job getting a paycheck. Are you, in terms of fulfilling your mission, if that's the right way to put it, and tell me if there's a better way to put it, did it further your mission relative to what you could have been doing? Did it detract from it? Was it irrelevant? I think only time will tell. I certainly thought about my thanks to you for the challenge and the fact that what I'm doing is intended to protect wilderness areas like what we're very fortunate to have behind our house and that I haven't spent enough time appreciating what we're working towards. And so at a visceral level, it was it was really rewarding to go back and say, okay, well, it may only be one hour, but it's still amazing to go back here and find the habitat of wild animals and and a place where very few people had been. So I think probably over time, we'll see if it improves any productivity. Certainly, it was good exercise. It was the snow was deep, so the and I didn't have on snowshoes, so the walking took your breath away after some time. Am I hearing more than you're saying in that the exercise was not just physical but also mental or emotional? Yes, of course. And I haven't spent this much time with my grandson in a year, so it was a bonding opportunity as well. He was so excited. You know, I had a meeting that ran over. And he waited happily because he said, granddad wants me to go with him back to the back of the property. So he was happy to wait. And he was really excited to see the property. And we spent time looking at the different tracks and so on. So it was it was an opportunity that I valued a lot. And I think he did, too. I have to say, I, and I bet I'm speaking for all the listeners here, that this is touching to hear. All the more so, you know, you, you've continued a trend that happens a lot on this podcast that a lot of guests, I have many guests who have no environmental background or experience or knowledge whatsoever. They don't know, don't care, but they have a lot of leadership experience. There are a lot of people who have a lot of background in, in nature and environment and things like that. And, and separate from knowledge, there's levels of activity. Some people have, you know, they've installed solar in their home. Some people have done different things. It seems that the people who do the most tend to find stuff more. Yes. They don't exhaust the possibilities. They, it's more like a skill that once you do it, you start finding more and more and more. I think that's true. And and I've always said, if you want to get something done, ask a busy person to do it. Yeah. And it, it comes in, one of the reasons I ask, why did you do it? Before I ask a person what they do, a lot of times they connect it with what they experienced while doing it, as opposed to what motivated it in the first place. Because usually it's a very positive experience. And they just think, oh, this is so great. Why didn't I do it before? Because they thought that they had access to what it became. And a lot of people would associate it with, oh, I should spend more time with my grandchildren, which I'm sure most people would feel. But it's also connecting with what they have access to at the beginning. It's very easy to forget what, it's usually a smaller, more subtle, but deeper initial 
motivation that is there for most people. Like most people listening to this, they might not have grandchildren. It's not about spending time with your grandchildren. That's the effect that you will get something like that. But it's what you, you know, what's that thing that you thought about a long time ago, you know, your perfect three days or you know, different things for different people. For me, you know, if they saw my third TEDx talk, my, my sledding hill. And so when you talk about snow, it always makes me think of how my sledding hill in Philadelphia is, it just happens that I grew up a block away from the best sledding hill in the world. And I loved it. What town were you in? Philadelphia. It was, I mean, in the city. In the city. Yeah. And it's Tommy's Hill, we called it. And it just happened. It was just this great hill with like, it would go down and then level off and go down and level off and go down and level off. And there'd be a turn. If you get went fast enough, you could hit the stream at the bottom when you'd have to bail out and grab your sled before you got all soaked. And then you'd go back up with the dogs running around and things like that. And the story that I tell in the talk is that when I was a kid, oh, and, and I would, I would um, take a candle. So I learned it from my stepbrother and we would wax the rims of the, the, the rails of the flexible flyer. And one time there's places we'd set up jumps and, you know, one time poof, crash and like broke the sled. So I had to take it back and get out the drill and the, ha- and not the hammer, but the, uh, the screwdriver and piece of wood and like rebuild it. And then over the years, as I would go back after college or during college and after college, the road, Wissick and Avenue between where the house and the park got widened and widened again. Yes. And then safer. It's definitely a safer road and cars can go through better or faster and, and, and more safely. And, you know, now I don't know the last time that I saw a flexible flyer on sale. You know, now people go on these little like saucers because it's only once or twice a year that you can go. I still have my flexible flyer, which I used as a kid in Swarthmore, Pennsylvania, outside Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. I remember that was my first, my first meaningful bike ride was to Swarthmore to go check it out. And uh, I've been biking this winter. If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch, but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Yeah, you were talking about your experience. You talked about what happened and you said it was, I think you said it was fun. What was the emotional experience? Actually, what was the emotional experience going back to when you first had the idea and told me about it? And then also when you, oh, it didn't work because it was 15 degrees and it didn't work for this. But then when you planned it with a, with a grandson and whatever, I imagine there's an, an emotional journey that wasn't just one emotion the whole time. There wasn't. There were many emotions. And in fact, before I went, I had some fear and just sort of vague fears about, I haven't been back there in a long time. What could happen? What will I find? And while I was there, it was work in the form of exercise work, but also fun. And I think the real joy, as with a camping trip that has mosquitoes, will come reflecting back on it more than the experience itself. Have you told others the story besides here now? No. It was, when did you say it was? It was yesterday? Yesterday. Okay, so it's just happened. And besides the emotional experience, what about, there's you and your grandson, what about the relationship experience? Were there other people involved? My wife came on the walk. 
how did that go? What was it? Did it, I was going to say, did it strengthen the relationship? I'm like, I presume you've had a lot of experiences over the years. Well, I've, we've been married 45 years, so it, it was another thing we did together. But nevertheless, it was it was fun, the three of us going together. And in fact, we've spent some time since then talking about other things the three of us could do together, going off for a weekend or something post-COVID with our grandson. Ah, so it sounds like it's uh, it hasn't ended, the experience hasn't ended yet. Oh, I think not. There are, I think this will lead to numerous outings we'll do together. I was going to make a joke. Should I say it? I'll say it anyway. Ah, should I have more kids? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any kids. Uh, how much time can you spend with each one? Well, it'll. Ha- I mean, I got nieces and nephews, so I got that. There you go. Well, this is this is really touching. Is it? Do you think it'll affect other parts of your work? <laughs> the way I asked it, it sounds like it's like I'm pointing you to saying yes, but I don't want to lead the witness. The answer is. You know, I think it's a stretch in a sense that a walk in the backyard is going to affect the rest of my life. On the other hand, it's too soon to know. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of tapped me up because I'm I'm kind of in wonder here of, of this, not wonder, but really enjoying this, your experience, because it was so simple. And yet not having been back there in decades, I was wondering if you were thinking like, what's back there? Like maybe the Grizzlies were just like, finally, here he comes. <laughs> That's right. But then the the experience of, of, you could have just walked, but then once the grandson got involved, it seems like it really took it to another level. It was so much better than doing it alone. Although doing it solo and having that solitude would have been lovely. But I was very happy to have my grandson with me. I think I'm going to wrap up there, unless there's something I didn't think to ask that's worth bringing up. I think we've covered it. All right. Well, thank you very much for sharing. And uh, I look forward to continuing working together. I've well, I'll tell you about Machai, not having heard back yet, but, but I've been following up on stuff we've talked about before, and I'll let's stop recording and then and do that. Well, all right, well, Bill Ryerson, thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me on. I've enjoyed it. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.